if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Luke chapter 11. That's where we'll be today. If we have not met yet, my name's Gerald. Uh, really, really glad to be with you guys. New year, new you, new everything, I hope, in 2021. Uh, this year, our church leadership has decided to call us as a church family into 31 days of prayer. This is a natural time, especially after the train wreck of 2020. It's a natural time to kind of refocus and uh, for many of us, January is a time where we start a new exercise routine, a new dieting, new personal habits. Some are abstaining from alcohol or sugar or whatever it is. And with that, uh, we thought it would be a great time to call uh, us, the Bridgetown Church family, to center again around prayer, around our connection with God and from that place, asking God to move in unprecedented ways in our church family, in our city, and in our world. So that's what we're doing. 31 days of prayer, just a focused effort together. Um, as always, this is invitation. If you want to join us in this, uh, I'll share some more about kind of what the practices and the invitations are um, in a few minutes. But that's basically what we're doing. We just believe that in this new year, uh, many of us, even as followers of Jesus, need to find new connection or reconnection with God. And beyond that, we are believing and praying and hoping that many uh, friends through the Richtown family and extended beyond the walls of the church, so to speak, would connect maybe with God for the first time uh, through Alpha, which will be starting up this month, and through a relationship with you. So that's what we're hoping for. That's what we're dreaming for in this next month and this year ahead. So with that, um, would you join me and let's begin uh, with prayer. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We, as John Mark prayed earlier, we invite you to invade this space. Our hearts, our minds, this room, for all of our friends at home, would you come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So uh, when I began thinking about prayer, and as we, uh, in these next two weeks, we're going to be talking about prayer, what it is, how to do it, some practical stuff. As I began thinking about that, it brought me back to when I was 16, 17 years old, growing up in San Jose, in the suburbs, and all I could think about at 16 was getting my own car. Anybody else remember that? Jude Comer is like, that is my life right now. I know, I've heard you talk about it. And uh, I remember riding around in my neighborhood on my bike and looking at parked cars and just thinking, someday I will have my own car. And a car, if you remember that moment, is the gateway to freedom as a teenager. For independence, you could go, or at least I thought, I could go anywhere I wanted at any time I wanted. And for me, as a lot of high schoolers, it was a status symbol. It was part of my identity. And some of you guys are like, yeah, it still is. Uh, but it was the way that you expressed your unique individuality. And uh, growing up in a kind of middle class, upper middle class, uh, California suburb, 
kids at my high school had cars. They, got, they turned 16 and got new Mustangs, new IROC Camaros, Jeeps, four by four. And some of you guys are like, IROC Camaros, just Google it when you get home. Your life will be changed. And uh, at my school, it, if you had a car like that, it meant that you were somebody. Like you were the coolest of the cool. And it also probably meant that your parents had a lot of money. But my parents were very normal and had very normal cars that sometimes I could borrow. And never in a million years were they going to buy me a car. So I did what I had to do. And I worked and I saved up and I bought from my neighbor for $500 a 1972 Volkswagen Bug. And I had a plan for the bug. And the plan was, remember, frame of reference, 1990, 91. I was going to lower the bug and put rims on it and paint it and tent the windows. Some people are laughing. Other people are like growing in their respect for me. Thank you. And I promise you, this was very cool at the moment, all right? And that was my plan. So most days after school, as a junior, senior in high school, I was working on my VW. And I had friends come over, and we were tinkering on it, trying to make it worth something. And one of those days, I was in my driveway, and I'll never forget this moment. I was with my friend, Louis Lopez, and we were tinkering on the bug in my driveway. And a guy in my neighborhood, who's about five years older than me, very cool guy, had a vintage truck, he surfed, I you know, knew who he was. Um, his name is Greg Dempster, and he comes walking by and sees a sticker on the window of my car of a band I like. And he starts talking to me, he says, oh, you like to go to shows? I used to go, I saw these bands, I used to go to shows, I used to get high, I used to chase girls, and all of that changed for me. And he said, you know, I've had this encounter with God, and I've really found what I was looking for in all of that. And his um, honesty, his, uh, this, there was a, a certain attraction I sensed that like he had a secret that he was letting me in on and I was drawn in. He had a presence about him that was tangible, it was powerful, a freedom about him. And I wanted to know more. A seed was planted in that moment. I was myself as a teenager, far from God, trying to do things my own way, chasing all those things. And I was experiencing this inconsolable longing, this deep emptiness. And as I heard this guy, Greg, talk about a life centered on God, I wanted that. And as we approach the text today, I think in my mind, this is exactly what it was like for the early disciples being around Jesus. I think they saw his life with the Father, the way that he had real peace, freedom, purpose, and they were attracted to that. He had a truly non-anxious presence. And I think the early disciples wanted what he had. And I also think they saw it connected into his relationship with the Father through what we would call prayer. So out of this desire and curiosity, the disciples in this text today ask Jesus about that. So would you look with me at Luke chapter 11? If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished... One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. 
Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. And you'll notice that in Luke's first century biography about Jesus, he uh, abbreviates the version that we're normally used to in Matthew chapter 6 called the Lord's Prayer. This is a shortened, abbreviated, slightly truncated framework for prayer that Jesus gives to his disciples and gives to us. And it's clear that for Jesus, prayer was a natural part of his rhythm of life. It was the center point of how he related to God. And, and Luke wants us to see this pattern. So just quickly, we're going to flip uh, back to Luke chapter 5 and look at a couple of these little points that Luke gives us to show what this is like in Jesus' experience as a human. So Luke chapter 5, we're just going to go really quickly. You can listen or flip along with me. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 15. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Then on to Luke chapter 6, just one page over, and verse 12. Luke 6, verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them who he also designated as apostles. Turn over a couple more pages to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 uh, verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? And then a few more verses later in Luke chapter 9, verse 28, this beautiful moment, the transfiguration, uh, Luke 9, 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up on a mountainside to pray. And as he was there praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. So just tracing through in Luke's gospel, you see that Jesus would go away by himself to pray. He would stay up sometimes all night to pray before a big decision. He would pray in private but with his disciples. And then in this amazing episode, the transfiguration, he goes up to pray with the Father, is transformed, and even uh, connects with some saints of old. It's incredible and mysterious and beautiful. And what we see is just clearly Luke wants us to pick up that for Jesus, prayer was a crucial part of his daily life. But for most of us, if we're honest, prayer isn't like that. Most of us have not experienced this kind of prayer like Jesus. I mean, how many of us here in the room would say like, hey, I feel really good in prayer. Like, I feel like I have it down. Like, I feel uh, like I've just kind of nailed it and I'm ready to move on to the next part of my spiritual life. Very few of us would say that. For most of us, prayer feels like hard work. And if we're honest, it rarely feels very fruitful. And I think that prayer 
is probably more difficult now than it ever has been certainly in my lifetime. And just a couple of reasons why. Number one, um, prayer is difficult now because we are so distracted. We live in the iPhone attention economy where our attention is literally the product being sold. Did anybody see The Social Dilemma on Netflix? It's real. Extremely intelligent people are paid to make apps that grab and hold on to your attention for as long as possible. Our phones give us that addicting dopamine hit every time we check them, hoping for something life-changing in that next notification or message. And the result of that is Silicon Valley is trying to tap into that dopamine addiction that we all have and to exploit it financially. And the result just makes it really, really hard for most of us to slow down, to focus in prayer, because our phones, wherever we set them down, are literally screaming for us to pick them back up. That makes prayer difficult. Prayer is also difficult because we live in a moment where we don't think that we really have needs. I mean, certainly materially, we don't have needs like in the first century. Remember, Jesus taught his disciples to pray for their daily bread. Most of us have probably never prayed considering the meal that would be before us that day. Most of us have more money than ever. Most have health care insurance. We just clearly don't need as much materially. Now, we definitely have deep emotional needs that in our city people are trying to deal with through absolutely any means possible except submission to the way of Jesus. But most don't have those material needs that are driving us to prayer. Now, there are some in our city for sure that because of addiction or circumstances are living houseless. There are poor in our city who actually do know what it's like to pray and to ask for those daily needs. And I would say that actually that is one of the places where I've experienced, even in this last month, going and spending time with friends uh, on the street downtown and realizing that Jesus is actually very close to them. There are some that have tapped into this reality, but for most of us, we don't have any sense of need, and therefore, it makes prayer hard. And finally, prayer is hard in this moment because secularism is so strong. Secularism is stronger than ever in our city. Most of us are plagued, at least at some point, with doubt. We wonder if God is there. Is Jesus really back from the dead and alive in our lives, in our city? Is God really listening? And this year, in our nation, many structures and institutions have been shaken, and some of that is very good. But also, most of us have probably experienced a shaking of our own faith in that mix as well. And not to mention, we live in a city that is clearly post-Christian, where everyone wants the benefits of Christianity, but without the authority of Jesus over them. I think our city could have the motto that you do you, but don't tell me what to do. 
And there's a constant enticing pressure to just focus on yourself. Project self. Be true to yourself. Don't deny yourself or your desires. Live your truth. Find what really makes you happy and just do that. But this is 180 degrees contrary to the call of Jesus to deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow him, and be devoted to prayer. So this just makes prayer hard in this secular moment. And for most of us, prayer is a weak point of our apprenticeship. But this month, We want to devote ourselves to prayer because we have to figure this out. This is absolutely critical for life with God. Prayer is more important than anything else we do because prayer is about your connection to God. Now, to define prayer, some have said prayer is simply talking with God, which is good because like with any relationship, it doesn't mean just talking at God but it means talking with God, like good communication between any two persons. We talk, but then also we make space to listen. Because the goal of prayer, as some have said, is to simply connect, to relate to God. Another has said, prayer is lifting hearts and minds to God. Or a great definition I like and we've used before from Paul Miller says, prayer is the medium through which we experience and connect to God. And maybe just pause for a minute. What an absolute incredible reality that you and I have the ability at any moment to connect to the living God of the universe. That is unbelievably good. It's interesting when Jesus is talking to the Father in John um, 16, 17, and 18, there's this um, concept that he is kind of alluding to that we as followers of Jesus are in Christ, and Christ is in this eternal relationship between the Father and the Spirit. So in a crazy, mystical, real way, we are actually partaking in the divine life of the Trinitarian community of love. If that is what prayer is, I want more of that. That is worth giving time and effort to. So if we wanna learn about prayer, it just makes sense that we would look at Jesus, his life and his teaching on prayer. Like the disciple that asked him in this text in Luke 11, we need to ask Jesus, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And isn't it interesting that Jesus did miracles, had these incredible teachings, and yet the thing that the disciples want to know about is prayer. It seems to be that they recognize everything that Jesus does. His life, his teaching, his power, his peace, all of that comes out of his relationship with the Father through the Holy Spirit, which we would call prayer. So we want to look uh, just briefly at Luke chapter 11 and Jesus teaching on prayer here. And um, notice that Jesus doesn't teach his followers to begin with asking for what they want from God. Now, honestly, that's where most of us begin prayer. We begin in our early days of prayer of asking God for what we want. And that's totally fine. However, today we want to focus on our orientation to God in prayer first. So here are four things you need to know to begin in prayer. If you're taking notes, write these down. If you're not taking notes, 
Write these down. Number one, God is your father. Jesus' favorite name for God is father. And what's interesting is he's not just my father from Jesus' perspective, but he's our father. We are invited into that relationship between God the father and Jesus the son. We are invited to call him our father. And this means that we are not orphans alone in a world of scarcity, but we are sons and daughters of the most high God in a world of abundance. I love that Psalm 23 line that the Lord is my shepherd and therefore I shall not have want for anything. That is how we're supposed to view God as our father and the world that we live in. Now, I know we don't have to get very far along in talking about God as our father to just realize that for many of you, that's um, a sticking point. And because of your earthly father, there's pain there. But I do believe that this is a journey that is worth taking, a journey of healing. And whether it's from past emotional pain um, with your father of, you know, your birth father, uh, your earthly father, this is something we have to to press into. And maybe even for some, this is the year to go to therapy, to meet with a pastor or a friend, do inner healing prayer, but do that work to heal, to get to a place where you can see God as your father. And you know, I think of my wife Jenny and her story. Her birth father was an addict and was unable to follow through on his commitment to his marriage and to his children, to Jenny and her sister. And uh, that marriage ended in divorce. And as a little girl at six years old, Jenny deeply wanted a father. And she's told me little episodes of seeing, you know, kids on the playground and their dads come and pick them up. And she wanted that. And so, uh, you know, a few years later, her mom came, single mom came home and said, hey, there is a man that I've been introduced to through church that we're talking about dating and, you know, do you know what that means? And Jenny's like, yes, it means maybe he could be my dad. And so Jenny's mom said, well, I want to bring him home for you and your sister to meet, just as a kind of starting point for something that may happen. And so as a six or seven-year-old little girl, um, her mom brings in and introduces it to, introduces Jenny to Michael Ledner, who became her dad. And in that first meeting, Jenny, as a little girl, looked up at him and said, nice to meet you. Will you be my daddy? I mean, just absolutely shows the sweetness, the childlikeness of being open to a father. And I'm deeply grateful for Michael and how he stepped in as a dad and brought so much healing to Jenny and her sister. Not only did he marry Jenny's mom, but also um, adopted the girls and gave uh, them his last name. Just a beautiful story of redemption. And as I was thinking about that, I was just thinking that for some in the Bridgetown family, um, because of your first experience with your earthly father, you've closed off this potential for another experience with your heavenly father. And I wonder if this might be the moment, this might be the point for you to actually say, no, I'm gonna reopen my heart. That even in that childlike desire to have a loving father, I wonder if this might be the moment for you. It's a journey that is absolutely worth taking.
And what comes to mind when you pray is of utmost importance. Unless we break strongholds, lies about who God is in our mind, prayer will be impossible. We need to see God for who he is, as our father. He has good intentions toward you. God is your father and he is good. Second thing you need to know about prayer from Jesus in his teaching is that God is close. He's like the air up against your skin. You know, when we hear our Father in heaven, we think of the heavens, this distant space, you know, far off beyond the galaxy in some other dimension, right? But actually in Greek, the idea of heavens is like air. It's very different. It's like air or sky. It's our Father in the air all around you, close to you, in your very lungs. The message of Jesus, Emmanuel, is that God has actually come close to us. That's why Jesus kept saying as he walked around, he said, behold, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is here. It's tangible. It's up close. And we can actually experience that through prayer. Third thing you need to know, the primary goal of prayer is the enjoyment of God. When Jesus says, hallowed is his name, hallowed is the Father, it means that God, our Father, is set apart as holy. He is good, beautiful, unique, special. There's no one else like him in all the universe. And you are invited to spend time with him, and it is enjoyable. To be close to the most loving being in the universe is actually amazing. And you know that who you spend time with, you become like, right? Children mimic their caregivers. That's how we develop as humans. And in spiritual formation, we say that what you contemplate, you become. In other words, if you want to be more peaceful, spend time with the one that is constantly emitting peace from him. You want to be more joyful? Spend time with the one that is the center of all joy in the universe. To spend time with God in prayer is absolutely enjoyable and it is transforming in the best ways possible. Number four, your prayers really do make a difference. When Jesus teaches his followers to say, your kingdom come, it means that God's kingdom is not fully come yet here on earth. And 2020, if it taught us anything, it taught us that for sure. Things on planet earth are not fully 100% as they should be. Can I get an amen? They are not. However, one day they will be. And we are invited through our prayer, to partner with the living God to change reality. It's really hard to believe, but Jesus seems to believe that when we pray in his name, in alignment with his will, things will actually happen. And here's the second part of that that's even more hard to digest. That when we don't pray, things won't happen that should happen. That's crazy. Our requests to God actually make a difference. 
You can actually change reality when you partner with the Spirit of God to bend reality to see his will done on earth. That's why I love this quote that says, the future belongs to the intercessors. In other words, we are invited to join God to shape and change reality. And these four concepts that Jesus gives us in Luke chapter 11 have the potential to change your life, to change our church, our city, and our world. And notice that it's about orientation to God before invitation. My Father in heaven, all around me, who wants good for me. Then that leads to intercession, asking that God's will would be done, turning over my life, then praying for the things that I want and the things that I need. And most of us, if we're honest in prayer, start with intercession, asking for things, and then circle back later to uh, this kind of orientation. But order really matters. Now, I want to pause one more time to acknowledge that Everything that I'm saying right now about prayer sounds amazing. Jesus' perspective on prayer is absolutely mind-blowing. But still, for many of us, we have to acknowledge this has not been your experience in prayer. It's been very hard, and I get that. And some of you, I, as I've been praying and thinking about uh, sharing this with you today, I know some have given up on prayer. And I'm wondering if even maybe this uh, 31 days of prayer this month is an invitation for you to try again, to give God another chance at this. And listen, I have many days in my practice of getting up, making coffee, and opening up and reading through a psalm or a few psalms. I've had many days where I go through the motions and I finish and I'm like, did anything happen? <laughs> like, I get it. I think anybody who's ever tried to Endure in prayer has had seasons up and down, days, even weeks, where it's like, is anybody listening? Or am I just going through the motions? So I want to share, um, as we kind of wind down here, I want to share three tips actually from the Alpha Film series that have been really helpful for me, and I hope these are helpful for you as well. The first one is, and thinking about prayer, keep it simple. Start with something simple. Pray a psalm in the morning. I've been doing this for years, and it's really, really helpful. You can just read a psalm slowly and make these ancient prayers your own. You know, um, the Jewish prayer practice at the time of Jesus was to pray through the psalms. The psalms were their prayer book, so to speak. And, and I've just realized that in the morning, especially as I'm trying to wake up and not only be in God's presence, just be awake, um, that it's exhausting to try and figure out what to say to God in those moments. But these written prayers can help me get that conversation started. Uh, Ruth Haley Barton wisely, wisely says, when our own words fail us, the well-chosen words of scripture help us to express the inexpressible in deeply satisfying ways and open us up to encounter with God. And it's good for me to know that I can wake up early in the morning and rely on someone else's time-tested words and prayers. I don't have to come up with my own. And sometimes as I'm doing that, there's just one line in the psalm that sticks out to me. 
and it just resonates with me and I'll write it down and I'll go back to it and that, that'll be it. I'll read 30 lines, but maybe out of that, there's just one that I'm like, Lord, that's it for today. That's what I'm feeling. And I use that as kind of a place to get started. So when you think about prayer, just keep it simple. Next, keep it honest. Many of us think that when we come to God in prayer, we have to be in a certain mood. We have to feel a certain way. That we can't come to God unless we feel super peaceful or super joyful or super holy. But look, let's be honest. If that were the case, none of us would ever pray. Like the reality is, I think the best practice is to keep it honest. If you wake up in the morning and you're just exhausted, start there. God, I'm exhausted. If you're angry, lustful, full of envy over someone else that got the promotion that you didn't or whatever the case, start there. Bring that to God. Let that be your prayer. Bring it to him. Let him transform it. Let that be the starting place. You can take whatever you're feeling to God in prayer. We need to be honest with God in prayer. And then the third tip is keep it going. Don't give up. We together as a community are making a plan for this month. A little bit more on that in just a second. But we're making a plan for the next, for this 31 days. And my encouragement to you was figure out whatever it is that the invitation is for you this month. Make a plan, share it with someone, and stick to it. Keep it going. If you have a bad morning, that's fine. Just try again tomorrow. Don't give up. And our hope that as we try this together for the next 31 days, that we really get momentum going. That as we spend intentional time with Jesus, we become more like Jesus. And we find purpose as we engage in his kingdom mission in our city and in our world. And that people will be attracted to us like they were to Jesus. And I hope that in the next month, as we begin to feel even an inkling of that, it propels us forward into the next month and the next month. You know, I have a friend of mine, uh, a fellow pastor at a, another church, and he was just, I remember a couple years ago, he's like, I just am horrible at praying. I don't pray. I don't want to pray. It's really hard. He said, so here's what I did. I made a commitment with another guy that's going to come to my house every morning, 7 a.m., and we're going to sit on my porch, and we're going to pray together. And he said, and I need him to come to my house because then I'm actually going to pray. Otherwise, I'm just not doing well with my prayer. And I just love that honesty and I love that kind of commitment to keep it going. And if I'm totally honest, that's probably why we have a prayer meeting every day at our church here because I know I will have to go to those and like one or two or maybe sometimes 20 of you will show up and we will pray. So I would just encourage you to keep it going. Put on your calendar, make a commitment with others so that you can do, you can be the kind of person you want to be through those commitments and do what you want to do. So there's three things that have helped me. Keep it simple, keep it honest, and keep it going. 
So finally, uh, in closing, everything that we have for this month is going to be on bridgetown.church slash prayer. You can find out things there. And again, we're asking you to join us, and this is all invitation-based. Find what's right and come join us on this journey. But I do just want to point out a couple of the practices for this month that we're inviting you into. The first one may be new for many of you, and it's called Fixed Hour Prayer. This is actual ancient Jewish and uh, Christian tradition, but just to stop at morning, noon, and evening for a short prayer. And so what we're going to do, and we're going to put more of this on a podcast that you can check out later this week for more details around how to do it, but basically we're inviting you to pray a psalm in the morning, then set a reminder and pause at noon to pray the Lord's Prayer, and that can be 30 seconds at your desk, or it could be a moment in the day where you stop Put on your raincoat, yes. Put on your down coat, then your raincoat. Then go outside and walk around the block. Take five minutes and pray the Lord's Prayer. So pray Psalm in the morning, pause at noon, pray the Lord's Prayer, and then pray the prayer of examine in the evening. And John Mark's gonna talk about that next week. Uh, More on that to come. We have a prayer card you can download or pick up here uh, at the church office that just kind of has a reminder of this rhythm. But that would be our ask to lean in to try this fixed hour of prayer, something that has been happening in our tradition for a millennia, to lean into that, to try it. Um, The second thing is we're doing... a class on practicing prayer, a class for five weeks. You can sign up online. And basically, we're going to learn about different kinds of prayer, but then we're going to do them. We're going to practice them. So that might be uh, fitting for some of you. And then finally, we're going to have prayer here in the building, Monday through Friday. We'll have the Sabbath off, and then obviously we're here on Sundays praying it well. But um, Mondays and Wednesdays, we pray at noon. And then Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, we'll be here for morning worship, 8 a.m., and prayer then. So to end with, um, I think a fitting place to end is just to remember and bring this to prayer, the line of Jesus, your kingdom come. Our dream and our desire is, yes, that we would be with Jesus, we'd be transformed by Jesus in this next month, but it doesn't stop there. Prayer actually leads to works of justice. Prayer leads to a place where I'm willing to give up what I have for the most vulnerable in our city and in our world. So I thought it'd be a great place if you would just stand with me and we're gonna pray for that to happen. Father, Son, Spirit, thank you that we have access to you through Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, we ask that for the Bridgetown family, for this next month, as we lean into relationship and connection through prayer, that God, we would be changed, but God, that you would lead us to bring change into this world. God, may it not just be about our own personal connection with you, but may you compel us out of that space to the lost the hurting, the broken, the poor in our city, we pray. So come, Lord Jesus.